You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. How are you guys? Dude, look at this room right now. You got this is what it looks like when you get an extra 30 minutes of sleep, right? I see you. I see you. There were some people in the first gathering, and they were like, good morning, Pat. And you could tell. They were like, this is my, my, this is my, my room, 830. And there was other people I was preaching. They were like, I was like, this is not your weight class, brother. Come on now. We've got to see you in the 10 a.m. where you're awake. But now, good to be with you guys. Good morning. Uh, if we have not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Sam. Sam I am. And uh, I get to serve as the lead pastor here at this church. And it is my absolute privilege and honor to get to do this week in and week out. And so, love being with you guys. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, and it's a great morning to be here because, friends, we are going on an adventure. All right? We are going on a brand new journey. And so, I want you to imagine that you're going on a trip, not a trip to the grocery store, not just like down the road. You are going on a journey, nay, a voyage. Kids, get in the van, suitcases loaded, because we are going on a several-day journey across multiple states to the Grand Canyon. Ah, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon before? All right, I haven't, so I had to Google this. I'm just kidding. Now, imagine you're going across the, the country. How many of you know? That by the time you leave, from the moment that you leave and you get the kids loaded in the car in your 1999 Honda Odyssey, where the air condition at best is across the country, how many of you know by the time you get to your destination, y'all are going to be different, (laughs) right? How many of you know that you are going to have new experiences? You are going to have made new family memories, You're going to have your ups. You're going to have your downs. You will have laughed. You will have cried. (laughs) And your children will have cried too. You might have a few more gray hairs by the end of this trip. How many of you know that by the time you end this journey, you will be different? Friends, we're going on a journey today. We are beginning a new voyage. And when we get to the end, I want you to know, and believe me when I tell you, we, church, are going to be different. We are going on a journey through a book of the Bible, all right? This is momentous. This is a big deal. This is the first book study. This is the first of this kind of journey that we have done here at East Point Church. And so we are excited to begin this journey where every week we come in and we're going to go verse by verse through this book, verse by verse through the Bible. And what we're going to do is we're going to do what what I do when my kids take a bath and then they turn that bathroom into a pool room, you know, and you have to sop up all the stuff with the towels. And then what do you do? You sop it up, you hold it over the tub, and you, and you wring it out. And you just get all the water out. That's what we're going to do to the scriptures. We're going to read verse by verse, and we're going to just sop it up, and we're going to say, God, what is in your word? What is it that you want to say to us? What is it that you have here in this scripture? And when we do that, friend, week in, week out, by the time we get to the end of this journey— We are going to be different. You, individually, you, you're not going to be the same. You're going to grow in your faith. Does that sound good to you? You're going to grow in your understanding of the gospel. You're going to grow in your understanding of who God is and what he has done. Your heart is going to have a deeper level of affection. You're going to have a deeper resolution for obedience. I mean, you are going to be 
different. You should be excited. But, I don't know about you, like when I, when I go on a trip, I go, hey, let's just get in the van. We'll figure it out when we get there. My wife is like, no. The night before, she's got the checklists, right? She loads the van. The, the clothes are laid out. She's a planner. And so we want to be we want to be, you know, do our due diligence. We want to be prepared for this journey. And so everybody should have gotten some snacks on the way in. Did you guys get your car snacks? Yes. Anybody want to trade me your Cooler Ranch Doritos for the Cheetos? No? All right, yeah, cool, whatever. I didn't want to trade with you anyway. But you need some things. But you need more than just car snacks. As we go on this journey, friends, there's going to, there's going to be a few things that you need that I want you to be ready for. Number one, you need your Bible. We can't go on a journey through the Bible if you don't have your Bible. So every week, here's my challenge, okay, as your pastor, I want you to have your Bible, a physical paper, sniff and scratch kind of Bible, okay? And here's what you're going to do. You're going to just bring a marker and just mark it up. Write in this. Get down and dirty with your Bibles. If you don't own a physical Bible, you can just grab one of the blue and white ones out of the back and never, like, just keep it. Don't return. It's yours. That is our gift to you, seriously. Because we want, as a church, every week we're going to come in and we're going we're gonna to just, we're, we're doing this together. Maybe even when we do a few verses, maybe you even like mark it up and you put the date next to it to go, man, January 9th, we went through these verses and you underline things and you highlight it. It's like a journey, right? And you want to remember the journey. So number one, you need your Bible. Number two, I'm going to ask that you come prepared. So every week in your sermon guides, look on the back of your sermon guides. What do you see? questions. Questions. I'm going to ask that as an individual, maybe by yourself or with your community group, every week you're going to find questions on the back that are for next week's sermon. So you want to know what we're preaching next week? It's right there. And so, you know, this week over breakfast or, you know, on Wednesday night at community group, read those questions and just talk about it. What do you think? Like dive into the scripture on your own and, and try it. See what God says to you. And then you'll come on Sunday, and I'm telling you, the entire posture of this room will be different because everybody's going to go, I've been studying this all week. I've been reading this. I've been talking about this. I've been thinking through it. What do you got? What are we going to learn, right? So come prepared. And then number three, I want you to ask God. I want you to pray a specific prayer, and this is a prayer. Each week, as you come out of the van, as you hop onto the sidewalk, as you walk through these doors, I want you to pray, God, how do you want to transform me? How do you want to transform my family through your word? I want you to pray that. Because friends, if you pray that every week, if you just come every week and say, all right, God, hands up. How do you want to transform me? He will answer that prayer and he will tell you. You ready to be different? We're going on a journey, church. Buckle up, all right? You're going to be different. But here's the best part. We are going to be different. East Point Church, this new endeavor, God is going to shape our vision. He's going to shape our love for our community. He's going to shape our understanding of who he is and what he has done and how we should be living in light of that. As a result of our time and attention, we are going to grow in faith and be challenged to reach the world. Are you guys ready for a journey yet? You guys, you, guys, you ready? All right, buckle up, church. Buckle up because we are going on a journey. And so the first thing I do when I sit in the car, I throw my phone up right here on the magnet and I open up the map app. I open up the map. So let me show you where we are going on this journey. We are going, our journey begins in a little place called Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You see where a couple thousand years ago, Jesus has just risen from the dead and he showed up. He appeared to dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of his followers in the flesh. At one point, he appeared to over 500 people in a crowd, and they believed him. 
seeing a guy that they saw crucified, now alive, it mobilized them. And so they started in Jerusalem where they saw Jesus, but it mobilized them and they begin to go everywhere. And they just simply tell people the message. They said, you got you to know what Jesus did and who he is. And they preach and then people have faith. And then they come over here, you got to know the story about Jesus. And they preach, and people have faith. Everywhere they go, people are believing, and they are turning with their lives to now live for Jesus. Well, there's one of these followers that is of a particular interest to us, and his name was Saul. And here's what you have to understand. Saul hated this movement. Like, Saul literally was killing Christians. Well, until he met Jesus. And so Jesus in the flesh, shows up to Paul, to Saul, and Saul goes, I guess I was wrong. I believe. And now he goes, and he begins traveling all the way over the world, and everywhere he goes, he tells people about Jesus, and people believe. He tells people what Jesus did on the cross, and people come to faith. He tells people that God is real, and look what God has done for you, and they put their faith, and they turn, and they live for God. And so he travels all over. Eventually, he makes it through Turkey, goes over to Greece, Macedonia, and he lands in a city named Philippi. And now here he is in Philippi, and he does what he has been doing the entire journey. He tells people that God came in the person of Jesus. He tells people that even though you and me, even though we try to be our own little gods and lead our own lives and live for ourselves, that the real God, he still loves you. He loves you anyway, and he came and he died on a cross so that you could be with God. And he tells that simple message, and people believe. They go, I want to live for Jesus. And they go public with their faith in Philippi. They get baptized. They start getting together in people's homes every week with their new spiritual family. And its birth is called a church. That's what a church is. It's a people. And so here's what's special about this church in Philippi. That long after Paul leaves, even after he continues to journey all over the world, they continue to correspond because they love each other. They continue to write letters to each other. The, the Philippians, they even send money to Paul to support his endeavors and his travels. When, they, when he's being beaten up in prison, they send visitors, they send letters, they send encouragement. They love each other. Paul is invested in this church. He loves this church. And do you know why? Do you know why he's so caring and concerned for this church? It's because he knows that even though God has saved them, even though God has done so much in their midst, even though God has changed their lives, the work is unfinished. Paul knows that God's not done yet. Paul knows that there's more to be done, that God is going to continue to transform this group of people and make them look more and more like Jesus. The work is unfinished. And so he continues to be a part of that work. Friends, we're beginning this series this year because we are excited about what happened in 2021, right? Hey, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Wasn't that awesome? We launched. I moved here. I said I moved here. I'm just kidding, right? Yeah, it was an exciting year, no doubt. But listen to me, church. What we experienced for the last 12 months, we haven't even finished the paragraph of the first page of the prologue. We're just getting started. 
the story that is being written on the eastern shore in God's kingdom. We are just getting started. The work is unfinished. And so we're going to dive into this book here to raise our faith, to increase our level of anticipation so that we might understand that Jesus wants to do more than simply educate you. He wants to do more than simply inform you. He wants to transform you. He wants to transform you, church. The work is unfinished. There is so much growth ahead of us. Do you believe that? Good. Paul believed that. And so he wrote to them and he said the following. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is our passage for today. We're going to stop right here. This is the book of Philippians. But if you pay attention, it's actually not really a book, is it? It's actually, more accurately, a letter. And this letter is written from servants of Christ. This is a letter written from servants of Christ. And so notice how the letter begins, right? From the very beginning, they begin their letter the way that a lot of people began their letter in the ancient world. They begin by identifying themselves. They begin by saying, hey, it's me, Paul and Timothy. This is like the opposite of how we do it in America, right? We write letters and we wait till the very end to identify who we are. We're like super sneaky and suspenseful. Dear Sam, yeah, that's me. I want to tell you something very important. Who is this letter from, right? You need to know something. I can't take it. you got to like flip to the back. Who wrote the letter? No, no, no. They begin by answering the question right off the jump. Who are you? Who? Identify yourself. Who is it that is addressing me and what is to follow? Who is talking to me? Who are you? Paul and Timothy. Who are you? How do you answer that question? Well, I'm Shane. No, 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 no. Like, who is Shane? Who is Kevin? Who is Jill? Right? What are you as a person all about? Who are you? Put another way. What defines your life? So you see many of us in this room and somebody, hey, welcome. Who are you? Well, I'm Bob. I'm an electrician. I'm a financial consultant. I'm a teacher. Oh, but like, who are you? Well, I'm an athlete. I'm an artist, I'm a pastor, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, right? Whatever your answer is, right, it's going to be different for all of us, but here's my point. Your answer to this question reveals how you identify yourself, okay? Your answer to this question reveals the thing that you think is most important about you, what best defines you. And so notice, right, when Paul and Timothy, when they come to the part of the letter where the author traditionally answers that question, they don't identify themselves based on their career. Paul, tent maker, and Timothy, the teacher. No. They don't identify themselves based on their characteristics. Paul, the bold, Timothy, the timid, right? They don't identify themselves based on on their father's names. Paul, son of Maximus. Timothy, son of Odysseus. No, the thing that best defines them, their source of their identity, it comes from their relationship to Jesus Christ. You want to know who we are? 
You want to know what, what best defines us? You want to know what the most important thing about me is? It is this. We are servants of Christ. We are those who have given our entire lives to spreading and serving the fame of Jesus Christ. Who are you? No, no, no. Whose are you? And we are his. Friend, these are grown men who are traveling around the world and they are sharing the simple message that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and that he loves us so much that he literally died on a cross, came to earth to save us, died in our place so that we could live with him forever. It's a message of love. And when you come to know love, when you realize that someone loves you that much, namely God, it does something to you. And you realize that to live without that love, it doesn't even count or qualify as living anymore because you want to know that person who loves you that much. And so these men are here, friends. They are so convinced. They are so consumed by their desire to be with the loving Jesus and to spread the message of the gospel everywhere that this is how they identify themselves. This is not flowery language. This is not just religious jargon or formal introductions and being polite. No. They belong to him. They identify themselves based on their devotion and commitment to Jesus. That's what best defines them. And so as we buckle up, as we get ready for this journey, right off the bat, I want Paul's example and Timothy's example to challenge you to get you thinking at the onset of this book. What defines your life? What do you typically look to as the most important aspect of who you are? Friends, what defines your life? We're going to come back to that question, okay? Because we see that this is a letter that is written from servants of Christ, but look who it's written to. Next part. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So it's a letter written from servants of Christ to saints in Christ. He's writing this to the saints that are in Christ at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Real quick here, I notice something here, right? Sometimes when we think back to the early church, when we think back to the earliest versions and gatherings of church people, we tend to picture an organic, loosely structured movement, super grassroots, just, you know, not a lot of organization. As opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to us, man, we got financial plans, we have leadership, we have websites, church, we must have, been, we must have sold out to the man, all right? We have microphones, right? We are corporate church. Is that what's going on here, right? Look, look at the earliest church. Are they just six people in a room singing kumbaya and just kind of this flat, like, whatever? No, he writes there and he recognizes that in the church, there are men who are called overseers. These are elders. These are servant leaders of high character and high capacity who are responsible before God for the well-being of the church. If you read the Bible, you realize that these people, th there was actually already a job description. They had qualifications that they needed to meet. There was a process outlined for how to select such men and even how to bring an accusation against such men if they went rogue and didn't fulfill their duties. That sounds pretty organized to me, doesn't it? Not only are there overseers, but there's another leadership group called deacons. 
So if an elder is a servant leader, we learn in Acts chapter 6 that deacons are lead servants. These are high capacity, high character people who are extremely organized so that they can handle the practical and functional administrations of any time you have more than two people in a room, right? And so the elders, they don't want to be distracted from prayer and the word and shepherding. And so they appoint deacons who can organize the food pantry, who can send out communications to the people, who can, who can do the administration and the organization and all of those fantastical things that I'm not good at, right? And so leadership, organization, structure, these are godly things. These are good, and we see them in Philippi. But let's move on, because my point is not the org chart. My point here is I want you to see what he calls them. He writes this letter, and he addresses them as saints, calls them saints. You've heard of the word saint, right? Typically, we use the word when we talk about someone who does something that's like over the top nice, right? Yo, that dude went the extra mile. Did you hear about my community group? Man, they helped their elderly neighbor move yesterday, and then they went to the store and bought groceries for her, and then they came and they groomed all five of her cats, right? And then they scrubbed her toilets, and then they decluttered the room. It's like, what a bunch of saints. Those, and those are just next-level people. If you come from a Catholic background, you're even more like, confused by this term, because in the Catholic church, a saint is someone who is like next-level, right? Like there's you, then there's like pastors, elders, and then there's like saints, To become a saint in the Catholic Church, not only do you have to live an exemplary life while you're alive, you have to continue doing awesome works while you're dead. You have to have a miracle attributed to you posthumously. (laughs) And you guys aren't applying for that? My application hasn't been. They said, when you die, we'll consider it. I'm like, awesome. Is that what a saint is? Is a saint a next level Christian? Is a saint someone who has climbed the spiritual ladder? What do you think the Philippians had to do to reach this enlightened status? What do we have to do, friends? New Year's resolutions. What do we have to do in 2022 to achieve the status of saint? Philippians are super Christians, right? He calls them saints. No. No offense to the Philippians. I love them. But they put on their leg, their pants, one leg at a time. They walk to the bathroom. They don't float. They don't have Bibles that glow, right? Like they're normal people just like you and just like me. And so he calls them saints. He is addressing them as saints, not because of some superiority, but because of their standing. Not because of what they have done, but simply because they are in Christ. He calls them saints because they are in Christ. And so here's what we learn, friends. Here's what you can underline in your Bible. The word saint, it is not referring to a next level Christian. A saint is not a super Christian. A saint is this. It is an individual. It is a man or a woman. It is a person who has been set apart for God's use. It is a person who has been picked up and set apart for God's purposes. In other words, all Christians. In other words, this is everyone who is in Christ. So friends, here's what I want you to understand. When you become a Christian, 
When you turn to God and he saves you, there is something powerful that he does in heaven to you, okay? We, we often think of converting as like almost just paperwork, right? I have changed my political affiliation and my religious affiliation. I have updated the, 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 the bio on my Instagram, right? I've checked off a new box on my SAT. T- no, no, no. Becoming a Christian is not just some transactional decision. When you become a Christian, God in heaven reaches down and he grabs you and he sets you apart to himself. And he says, she is now mine. He does it. He grabs you and he says, those old pursuits of the world, of earth, those are now literally beneath you because I am giving you new heavenly purpose. So the pursuits of fame and money and power, friends, that is so far beneath. You know, you have been set apart for something new, heavenly, glorious purpose. And so every aspect of your life, your parenting, your work, your work ethic, everything, your money, your houses, everything, your relationships, everything are now tools in the hand of God, means to glorifying him and to enjoying him forever. Talk about glorious purpose. You, friend, when you are in Christ, you are set apart. In Christ, you are a saint. You're a saint. Wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, what up, saint? You're a saint if you are in Christ. That is who you are. You're his, and you have purpose, and God is going to use you for his glory, and you are going to experience a joy-filled life from being his. You are who he says you are. And so as we begin this letter here, in the very beginning we see not only does Paul identify himself based on his relationship with Jesus, he also speaks to his friends. He addresses others in a way that reminds them of their relationship to Christ. When he sees the Philippians, he sees them accurately. He sees what is most important about them. It is who they are in Christ. And so he's talking to them in a way that reminds them, don't forget, you're a saint. That's who you are. Can we do that to each other, church? East Point Church, can we be a place where not only do we identify ourselves as being in Christ, but can we talk to one another? Can we relate to one another? Can we address one another in a way that reminds you, hey, brother, don't forget what is most important about you. Hey, sister, don't forget who you really are. Hey, my friend, don't forget that you have been set apart for glorious purpose. Can we remind each other in our interactions rather than doing what the world does? The world, you walk into the room, they give you that hello, my name is, and they put a label right on you, right? Oh, you're that guy. Oh, you're that girl. Oh, you're that type of family. You'll never be more than this. And Paul is speaking to them in a way that says, no, no, no. Let's remember what's most important about us. I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. That's what defines us. And so friends, as we look at this beautiful interaction, even just in the first two verses, let's think, what do we look to? What are the things that we try to use to define our life? What is it? What do you typically look to that says, you know, that's probably the most important thing about me. And so some of you in this room, I've already said it, what you do, that's the most important thing about you, your profession. I'm a cop. That's who I am. I'm a doctor. That's who I am. I'm a mom. That's who I am. I'm a teacher. That's what you do. 
Some of you guys, you look to your achievements, right? We tend to, to measure the value of our life based on our successes, your financial status. Ooh, you're doing well for yourself. That's who you are. How many houses do you have? That's the most important thing about you. Your degrees, how high up the corporate ladder you have climbed, your achievements are most important. Maybe you're in this room and you say, no, the most important thing is my relationships. You're looking to the people around you for your sense of status. How big is your network, friends? How many followers do you have? Are you even an influencer? Are you popular? How many likes did you get? Oh my gosh, how real is that, huh? How many times did you check for how many likes you got? Do people admire your life? Our world makes a really big deal about this one. You are your sexuality. The most real thing about you is what you feel. It is your gender. It is how you express yourself. I mean, they literally call it your gender identity. Because the most real thing about you is how you feel. And if you are not acting on what you feel, you're not being real. You're not being true because that's most important about you. It's who you are, your feelings, your expression. Some of us in this room, we, we put the label of our mistakes, right? How many of us walk around and we carry the scarlet letter? Because we know that we are and always will be known for the mistakes that we've made. We don't forgive ourselves. The world also tells you that your ethnicity is most important. You're black. You're white. You're Latino. You're Asian. You're right, right? As if the melatonin levels in your cells are the most important thing about you. But that's who you are. Are. And so you better act and vote and respond appropriately. Otherwise, you're not being who you are. Or maybe you're here and you go, man, my family dysfunction defines me, man. You are the blended family. You are the broken family. You are that family. Whatever it is, right? And you go, man, that's just who I am. Friends, when Paul writes this letter, when Paul introduces himself and addresses them, he doesn't address them based on their mistakes. He doesn't address them based on their ethnicity. He doesn't address them based on their wealth or their financial status. He addresses them based on the thing that is most important about them. He says, friends, I'm addressing you this way, not because you're perfect, not because you're next level, but because you are in Christ. That's who you are. You are a saint. And so listen to me, church, East Point, if you are in Jesus, if you have come to him wherever you are on your journey, if you have said, I believe him and I want to be with him, he reaches down and he grabs and he says, you are mine. And that's the most important thing about you. And for the rest of our Christian life together, we're going to work to continue to live in light of that identity. You're his. None of those other things define you anymore. You are his. You're in Christ. You're a saint. You're a saint. And if you're not there, if you're not in Christ, maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you're new to this whole church thing, and you're just kind of trying to check it out, can you hear me when I say this is so much more than just an affiliation or denomination? It, this is about God of the universe saving us, bringing us into his family, and making us his. Well, there's a lot of other things. What about, no, no, that, that'll come. You're his. Well, you know, there's a lot of, you're his. Well, I don't know. I was reading something. You are his. That's, that's the first and foremost lesson. When you're in Christ, you're his. You're set apart. You're a saint. You're a saint. The most important and real thing about you is that Christ defines your life. Christ defines your life. 
Now let me be clear, all of those other things that I covered, those, those may still be aspects of your life, right? Like it's not like you come to Jesus and everything is wiped blank now and you just have no personality. You're like, um, I'm a Christian now. And all I do is pray, read the Bible, and fast. And the only time I eat is just to get hungry again so I can fast more. You know, it's like you still are a human. You still have personality. All of those aspects may still be involved in your life, but it's like this. You know how the, the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around? So too, all of those different aspects of your life now begin to revolve around the most important dominating reality of your life. Everything else in your life, your sexuality, the way that you approach your family, your work ethic, your achievements, your finances, all of those things now take their cue from the very thing that defines you, and it is Christ that defines your life. Who you are is completely different. This is radical, not transactional. This is transformational. He becomes your everything, and knowing him and making him known is the dominating reality, the overarching sense of purpose in your life. That's what you are all about in Christ. Christ defines your life. Christ defines your life. Welcome to Christianity. That's what we're about. And so Paul, he says, Christ defines my life, and Christ defines your life, and so that should affect the way that we connect with each other, right? And that's why he ends here with the second verse. Look what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is written from servants of Christ to saints in Christ, but it's written with grace and peace. Grace and peace. This is the most succinct summary of what God, of what God gives us in Christ. This is it. You want to know the gospel? Do you want to practice teaching your children the gospel? Do you want to practice sharing with your neighbors and your loved ones and your coworkers what the gospel is? It's two words. It's the most succinct summary that we believe that in Jesus we have received grace. God treats us better than we deserve grace. We believe that because of what Jesus has done, God looks at us and he breathes out grace. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He actually gives us what we don't deserve. He treats us so well. And not only does he give us grace, there's even more. There's affection. There is peace. You see, friends, we believe that when we're born, we immediately just go, we go that way, right? We are just like doing our own thing and we are not cool with God, you know? Like we are not on speaking terms with God, not because of him, because we are running away from him. We are literally enemies of God, but because of what Jesus has done, where's peace? When you stand before your creator, there's no fear. There's no condemnation. There's no, I'm gonna get struck by lightning when I walk in there. No, he welcomes you because you're in Christ. Grace and peace. And here's what's powerful, East Point Church. If you have received grace and peace from God our Father, if I have received grace and peace from God our Father, then I should be giving that grace and peace to you. You see, our standing in Christ doesn't only affect our relationship with God, it reflects my relationship with you. We should hang a sign from the front door, right? Like, welcome to East Point Church. We got, like, those cool little sandwich board signs. Like, we should just get this huge rolling band. Just unroll it from the front. And it just says, welcome, grace and peace. 
Because that's what you're going to experience in the family of God. That is what you should experience among fellow Christians. You are going to experience grace. We're going to treat each other better than we deserve. Okay? Well, I don't know. Did you hear about what he said? No, no, no. Hey, hey, what? Grace. You're not your past mistakes. Grace. We're going to treat each other better than we deserve. And you know how else we're going to treat each other? What else does that banner say? It says grace and we're going to be at peace with each other. I don't believe that. You know, I went to a church once and there was so much conflict. And you know, no, 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 I didn't say we're not human. Church, we're going to fight, all right? We're going to step on each other's toes. Like, we should all invest in some steel toe boots. Because when you come to church, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna step on each other. My point is that we're not going to have artificial harmony and never fight. My point is this. When we do have conflict, we promise to pursue peace. We're not going to be a place that allows petty conflict to fester and a little he said, she said gossip. No, no, no. There is peace. We don't enjoy the drama. In God's family, we want to be cool. We want to be here. And so we're going to work for it. We'll have the conversations. We promise to forgive. Because Christ defines your life. And Christ defines my life. And we're in him, connected to him, which means that we are connected to each other. And so... Grace and peace. Grace and peace. If you're looking for a new email signature, try it out. Just try it on, a little vintage, grace and peace. I need the document by 5 p.m. Grace and peace, right? (laughs) Just start confusing your coworkers. Like, what is he talking about? Grace and peace, church. So I want you just very simply, what have you been looking to to define you? What are you tempted to? to use to say this is the most important thing about me. What are the things that people in your life, they tend to put those labels on you, right? They tend to put them on you to say that's who you are. You're that guy, that girl, that kind of person. What are those labels? And so here's how we're going to respond, right? Daniel will play some music for us. But I want you to grab your sermon guide and you should see a little sticker that you would wear when you walk into a party and you say, hello, I am... You put it right there in your chest, right? That is the universal sticker for please identify yourself, okay? What is your identity? And what I want you to do is I want you to take a moment. We're going to take 60 seconds. Grab your pen, and I want you to tell me how do you tend to define yourself? Are you here in this room, and you tend to look to what you do? You are your work. Life is work. Maybe you're here, and it's your achievements. You're the sum of your successes. Or maybe it's your relationships, You love, I mean, relationships are key, but when they become the dominating reality of what you live for and the most important thing about you, or maybe it's your sexuality and your ethnicity, the things that the world says, that's most important about you. Maybe you've been looking to that too much. Maybe you're here and you say, Sam, I just can't get over my past mistakes. Every time I look in the mirror, all I see are my mistakes. All I think about when I fall asleep are what I've done, my sin, and I feel dirty. That's my identity. Or maybe it's your dysfunction. Maybe you just haven't learned yet that we're all dysfunctional. (laughs) I remember when I started to realize, man, my family, we're just kind of messed up, right? And my dad said, son, you haven't learned the secret yet. Everybody's messed up. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment, write down on those labels, how do you identify yourself? And then what we're going to do is we're going to stand We're going to sing a song that reminds us that Christ defines your life. And when you leave here in front of the cross, we have a very spiritual piece of furniture. It's called a trash can. And as you leave here, I want you to throw those labels in the trash where they belong. Because that's not who you are. 
at the foot of the cross, you dump that in the trash. And on the way out, we have some greeters who have a little gift for you, a little reminder to stick in your Bible to remind you that Christ defines your life. So take a moment, respond, and then we'll continue. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.